Um, if you will, I'm going to begin, uh, Jason, you don't have to put this text up, but I'm going to begin by reading from Genesis 3.15, and then, then I'll pray. I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Father, we ask that as we look at your word tonight, as we consider the making and keeping of your promises in Christ, that we would give great thanks, that you would help us to understand your word, help us to understand the story of our salvation from Genesis through Revelation, the the story of what you are doing from in creation and redemption for our salvation, for the salvation of people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and for the glory of your great name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This is a um, this is a time when, um, just so you know, not only Sovereign Grace is gathered here as well as some of the family and friends, but um, also Covenant Presbyterian Church. Some of your members are here, and, and we're thankful to have you here with us. We usually celebrate Christmas Eve and Good Friday together, I believe, almost every year, and we're thankful to be together tonight. Um, and we're here to really celebrate Christmas. And at Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of the oldest missionary promise in human history. Did you guys hear that? At Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of the oldest missionary promise in human history. At Christmas, we celebrate God keeping his promise to send the Christ for the sake of every age of human history and for the sake of every people group in human history. While Christians have only been celebrating the Christmas holiday as we currently know it for about 1,600 years, the event that Christmas points to has been longed for and rejoiced in since the beginning of human history. Christmas is the celebration really of the first advent or the first coming of the Christ, of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. And Christmas is not just a promise that was made, I want you to hear this, it's not just based on a promise that was made to Old Testament Jews, nor just a holiday for New Testament Christians. Christmas is the celebration of God keeping his promise to every tribe, tongue, and people in the history of the world. The saints of the Old Testament were longing for Christmas to come. And we are now looking back on the fact that it has come. Every Christmas, we look back on the event that the saints of the Old Testament were looking forward to. And what I hope you grasp tonight is that Christmas is a celebration of an event where God kept his promise for every age and for every people group. Christmas is where God kept his promises to Old Testament saints to send the Christ for their sake and to send the Christ for the sake of every people and tribe and tongue and nation. And to demonstrate that, we need to go back to the beginning. Because the original intent was not for God to have one people in one location of the world. The original intent was for God to have all the people of the world, and his glory would spread across the world. Look with me at Genesis 1, and it should be up on the screen, in verse 26 and 27. As we read of the creation account from the pen of Moses... When he gets to the sixth day, he says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. In other words, God made image bearers of himself. He made Adam and Eve to reflect his glory to all the creation. And then he gave them an important command. Look at verse 28, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, now here's the command, be fruitful and multiply, and catch this part, and fill the earth. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God did not intend for Adam and Eve to be confined to some small region of the world in the ancient Near East. The original intention wasn't, I'm going to create these people and keep them in this little small place. His original intent was to create them, and then he commanded them to do what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. He wanted Adam and Eve to have children who would be image bearers of God, who would fill the earth with what? His glory. Because an image bearer is one who reflects someone else. And he wanted us to reflect his glory across the earth. Adam and Eve really, if you will, were, if you will, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's who they were. But as we read in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan and so sinned against God. They were no longer those who rightly reflected the glory of God, but instead they believed and reflected a lie. They no longer knew God's blessing, but only his curse. Man was now subject to physical and spiritual death. Rather than being God's pl- people under, in, sorry, in God's place under God's rule and blessing, now man was God's enemy under God's curse who no longer reflected his image across the earth in the truest sense, but often reflected a lie. But even in the midst of the curse, God made a gracious promise, which is what I began with reading in Genesis 3.15. He says this, verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, And as he's cursing Satan and Eve and Adam and the ground, as he's doing that, he gives this promise in the midst of the curse in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, that's between the serpent or Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, her offspring, he, the singular, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, Satan, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. We call this the mother promise. It's really the the promise that gives birth to, to all other promises. Some call it the proto-euangelion or the the first gospel. You might say that the rest of the Bible story from Genesis 3.15 through Revelation is a footnote on this verse. It's as if once Genesis 3.15 comes and this promise hits, the rest of the Bible builds upon God fulfilling this promise. This is the text where Christmas is first announced. In other words, Adam and Eve looked forward to Christmas. Satan did as well, but in a very different way of looking forward, right? 
The gospel is announced here for every people in every age. What was the promise? There would be a savior born of the woman who would save all mankind and who would crush Satan under his feet. So this seed of the woman is coming from mankind. Now throughout the rest of the scriptures, we see the progressive unfolding of this mother promise. So let's fast forward a bit to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, so he comes to Abraham, here called Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now notice he's calling him and he's going to make him into his people and he's going to send him to his place. And he's going to be under his rule and blessing. Listen, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, or in Genesis 18, 18, picks up the word all the nations, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Here is the first covenantal promise made to, of the gospel, made to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. Genesis 12, 3. In you, all the families of the earth, all the nations shall be blessed. Now, God covenants with Abraham, as we see, and I don't have time to fulfill, fill in all the story, but in not only chapter 12, but chapter 15 and 17, that he would bless all the nations through him and his seed. God is telling Abraham that the seed of the woman who will reverse the curse and bring the blessing of salvation to all nations will come from Abraham's seed. The Savior who would spread the glory of God across the whole earth will not only come through mankind in general, which you hear that, through the seed of the woman, but will come even more specifically through the particular national people who come from Abraham that we know as Israel. The seed who was promised will come from Abraham. In fact, Genesis twenty two eighteen puts this home sends us home a little bit further. If you look at Genesis chapter twenty two, I think it should be up there as well, and verse eighteen, here's what God says to Abraham And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, the gospel that God would send the seed of the woman, the Christ, to bring salvific blessings to every tribe and tongue and nation and every age was preached to Abraham. Do you hear that? Abraham looked forward to Christmas. Adam and Eve were looking forward to Christmas. Abraham and his family were looking forward to Christmas. The gospel was preached to them. In fact, Paul directly says that in Galatians 3.8, picking up from Genesis excuse me, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says this, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached, now hear this, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel was preached to Abraham, saying, in you, now here's the quotation, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, the gospel that God would send his son was preached to Abraham, was preached to Adam. Abraham looked forward to and trusted in Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the covenant promise God was making with him. Say, Abraham was trusting in Jesus Christ? Yes. How do I know that? Because Jesus says he did. Where does Jesus say that? John 8. Abraham looked forward to my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham was looking forward to Christmas. 
But the promise to Abraham narrows even more. If I were skipping a whole bunch of Genesis, which I will, and you go forward, Abraham's son Isaac had sons, and one of them was Jacob. And Jacob has really 12 sons and who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's promise to Abraham becomes even more specific as Jacob blesses his sons. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, he turns to bless, Jacob turns to bless Judah, the great-grandson of Abraham. He says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foil to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. I'm not going to keep reading, but you get the point. Here's this messianic promise that from Judah's tribe would come the seed of the woman. So we see the seed of the woman is coming from mankind in general, more specifically from the nation that is in Abraham's family, Israel. And now has, he's narrowed it down even more, not just through man, not just through Israel, but through the tribe of Judah. God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Judah. And they all looked forward to Christmas, to the coming of Christ, to God keeping his promise. Now there's a lot more history between here and where I'm going to go. But for the sake of time, I'm going to skip forward and narrow the promise a little bit more to 2 Samuel and chapter 7. God comes to David and makes a promise to him. And as he speaks to David, here's what we hear in verse 11, really starting at the third part of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now notice this about his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. God has narrowed the promise further through his covenant with David. Not only will the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God come through mankind and through the nation of Israel and through the tribe of Judah. He's coming from the house of David. And he will be a Savior King, the Son of God, who brings salvific blessings to all nations and will spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. So David was looking forward to Christmas. This is why Matthew, for example, when he starts his gospel in chapter 1 and verse 1, he opens it up with this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is why we hear Mary's, really Mary in her song, while she's pregnant, say this. In in Luke chapter 1, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now he's remembering, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In other words, as Mary's pregnant, she's looking back saying, God is keeping his promise. That's why we hear Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, at the birth of his son, speak about the coming of Jesus in this way. In Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. 
That's why Simeon, who's in the temple when Jesus is brought in 40 days after his birth, says this as he holds the baby Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is why Jesus, after his resurrection, as he speaks to his apostles, can speak this way as he does in Luke 24, 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the whole of the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. That's why Paul can proclaim in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time speaks to a prophetic clock. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why Peter says the following about Old Testament prophets in 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the salvation we have, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. What did the Old Testament prophesy, te, prophets testify about or prophesy about? The grace that was to be yours. Search and inquire carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, that's his cross, really, and the subsequent glories in his resurrection. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The Old Testament writers knew they were serving you. They knew they were looking forward to Christmas. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I don't know if you heard that last bit. The Old Testament saints and prophets knew they were serving us. They were looking forward to Christmas. But Christmas has come. The Christ has come. He was born. He arrived. He lived perfectly in our place. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He kept all of God's law perfectly for us. And then he went to the cross and paid the penalty due to us on the cross for our sin. He bore the curse for us. He became the curse for us. So that we might receive the blessings he promised to Abraham. Salvation and life. Adoption and justification. The declaration of righteousness. Forgiveness for sins. Eternity with him. They were looking forward to Christmas. We're looking back at it. Even as God's angels, God's angels, even God's angels are brought to awe and praise at seeing that God would send his eternal son to save us. The saints of the Old Testament longed for Jesus to come. They trusted in him, were saved, though that he did not come until after they died. They believed in them, him, as Hebrews 11 says, though they had not yet received what was promised. We, however, have received him. We have seen the eternal Son of God come and crush the head of the serpent through his own death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. We've seen the Holy Son of God become the curse on the cross for us so that we might receive the promised blessings of Abraham. So every Christmas, every Christmas, and frankly every day, 
we join with the great cloud of Old Testament witnesses, looking to and giving thanks for the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Every Christmas and really every day, we join the heavenly choir of angels and Old Testament saints singing glory to God in the highest. And I hope every Christmas, I hope every Christmas, you were reminded that while this good news reached the Old Testament saints, and this good news reached you Christians here, this good news has not yet reached all peoples. And I hope you join with me in praying that God would use us to bring this gloriously good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation so that they might know the blessing of Christmas, that God has kept his promises, and the Christ, the Savior of the world, has come. There's, there's really two applications I want to drive home briefly. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not trusted him, if you do not know him, then you have not received his blessings. You've not received the blessings of Abraham. You are still spiritually dead. You will eventually physically die. You are not a friend or child of God. You're his enemy. Christ came to save his enemies, though. You are not one who benefits from him putting his foot upon and crushing the head of the serpent. In fact, if you do not trust in him, he will eventually put his foot upon your head and crush you as well. That's why I encourage you, really implore you, to turn to Christ in faith and so be saved. Look to him and know he's your only hope of salvation. Recognize that you're an enemy of God, but that God loved you. And because of his great love for you, because he's rich in mercy, he sent his son for you, and he will make you alive together in Christ. Look to him in faith and believe. Look to him and believe. Trust in him and be saved. Come talk to me afterwards about it. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to know Christ and be saved by him and to walk with him. Love to discuss that with you. But unbelievers, do not go back home blindly thinking that this holiday is, is all about consumerism. It's all about spending time with family. This is about the coming of the Christ, the fulfillment of God's promises all the way back at the fall of man into sin of God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, of his promises to Moses and David. It's about the fulfillment of all of that in the Christ. Don't miss that. I know it's easy to. I know it's easy to get caught up with family and gifts and all this stuff and miss that. But I, I beg you, don't miss it. Today is the day of salvation. That doesn't mean that tomorrow isn't the day of salvation. Let's talk about the age we're in. Now is the time when Jesus is saving people. But eventually he'll return. And the day of salvation in that sense has ended. And now the day of judgment has come. So I encourage you to look to him in faith and be saved. If you are a Christian, I have an application for you. Please don't let this, Christ this Christmas be another occasion in which you focus on yourself. The, the sad irony of the Christmas holiday is that we're so often turned in on ourselves. And spend huge sums of money and time on our own families while celebrating a holiday in which our missionary God sent his son for the sake of others, namely his enemies. 
So take time to pray for missionaries. Take time to pray um, for these missionaries and then go find them, seek them out from our church and begin to support them. Help them take the gospel where it has never been. Take time to open your mouth to your family and friends about Jesus. Back there, there's a table for perspectives, perspectives on Christian world mission. We encourage people to take it every semester. So basically a 15-week, 16-week course on, on God's heart for the world and his desire to see people from every tribe and tongue and nation reached. And this particular semester, the, the, the list of teachers is the strongest I think it's ever been. And, and I'm very much looking forward to this particular semester starting in mid-January. Go back to that table. Get information. Sign up. Take the class. Figure out why it is that we're so serious here at Sovereign Grace at making sure that we pour out everything, all our resources, all our energy, all of our blood, all of our prayer on making sure that this message is heard where it's never been heard. I encourage you to go back there. Get the pamphlet. Sign up for the class. Sit in there and learn. Grow. Be challenged. There are things you you will like in the class and agree with and things you will not like and will disagree with. Feel free to come talk to me about that. But don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to spend time in God's word growing in in an understanding of God's heart for the nations. Whatever you do this holiday season, remember that Jesus kept God's promise. Jesus kept God's promise to save people from every tribe, and tongue, and nation, and you, as a result of that, are a recipient of the greatest of blessings. You are. If you're trusting in Christ, think of the blessings you have. That's what you remember. That's why we're here. Let me pray. Father, we ask that we would be a people who understand really and rejoice in your son, the fact that the story from the beginning to the end is, is the same, that you desired to have your glory spread across the earth, that we sinned and you sent, promised to send and you sent your son to redeem us because you were set on your glory being spread across the face of the earth. Father, cause us to give great thanks and be And rejoice in the fact that we have the privilege. We have the privilege of knowing Christ and being saved by Him. That we have the privilege of making Him known to others who have not heard. Pray that You'd cause us to be faithful to that. To give great thanks for Him during this season. To open our mouths with boldness and grace toward our family members and friends. To be on our knees in prayer for our missionaries and those who are making Christ known, naming him where he's never been named. Father, pray that your spirit would powerfully do this. Work in us as you apply the word to us. We pray that we would know it's been about your son from beginning to end. Pray that we'd know, as Calvin said, that you created all of this as a theater for your glory and the story of redemption of your son takes center stage. That we would give great thanks and rejoice in his name. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.